Hey everybody, welcome to TCP Talks with Jonathan Baker and Justin Broadley from The Cloud Pod. In this series, we're bringing you interviews with the best and brightest leaders and heroes from the tech and cloud industry. Hey everybody. In this episode of TCP Talks, we chat with Amiram Shakar, founder and CEO of Spot, which aims to help its customers reduce complexity and compute costs by up to 90% in the AWS, GCP, and Azure clouds. Amiram, will you please tell us about yourself? Yeah, hi. So first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Amiram. Uh, I'm the founder and the CEO of Spot. Uh, I am based out of uh, San Francisco. Just a little bit about me. Um, I'm originally from Israel, from Tel Aviv, and my background is um, like every Israeli dude. Uh, I've been to the military and I serve for the, the unit that's responsible for the cloud infrastructure of the military. So I've done that role for about seven years. I was an officer there, then started my journey at Spot. So now, great to be here. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on the show. We'd love to have you here. It's been a big week for you guys, though. Uh, we saw the acquisition from NetApp. So congratulations on that. I'm, I'm sure that's exciting and something new uh, that your company's about to go through this major transformation as you uh, join the NetApp family. What, what's really driving, you think, uh, your decision to get bought by NetApp? You know, what, is, what do you see your synergies being? Obviously, you know, acquisition doesn't happen overnight. Uh, so it's a process. Um, and earlier this year, like uh, we were very on, you know, almost uh, about to close our Series C of funding uh, from um, some really respected uh, VCs. Um, and then we got this like phone call from from NetApp, like, "Hey guys, uh, what do you think about uh, going on better together?" Um, and the truth is, it's like we 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 came to know NetApp about um, a year ago uh, when we first met them in their headquarters in Sunnyvale. Um, and we really liked their story. Like we thought it like out of all the vendors in the cloud infrastructure space, they really have the most compelling story because they had a lot of value and it's a no brainer to use their technology in the public cloud. Unlike of like other like big ISVs that are still not figured out their, their steps in the cloud. So we felt that there could be an amazing synergy. Um, so then the junction was like, Will we go and like raise more money, do it ourselves? Or like, will we just like stay and like build whatever we want to build because we're in love and division uh, and we can build it under the NetApp umbrella. And that's what really led us to uh, to actually go in that route. Yeah, I read your blog post you, uh, you wrote about you know being introduced to Anthony Lai, uh, who I've met as well several times and had some really great conversations with. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think NetApp, of all of the hardware vendors who are making the transition to the cloud, has really got a robust strategy that makes sense. And, you know, they're not trying to continue to maintain their, their physical on-prem hardware. They understand that people take the right advantage of the right technology at the right time. And I, I really do appreciate their vision and that they're trying to be more than just the storage vendor that people have known them for a long time. So, you know, let's take a little bit of a step back. What was the issue that you were trying to solve when you founded Spotence with your co-founder? Uh, what, was, what were you seeing as a DevOps practitioner, as a cloud practitioner that you were like, I want to fix this problem? Yeah, so I'm gonna say some like very controversial things right now, um, and uh, but that's the truth. You know, it's all started because I was working for a company who needed to save money on cloud, um, and we didn't have the privilege of like buy reserves capacity and like prepay for compute and then get discount. 
So I had to find like better ways to reduce the cloud bill. Uh, and you know, the alternative was like, we'll just shut down the resources. Like we, we, we couldn't pay for this as a company. We're like small company for like the company I was working for. Um, and then I got introduced to spot instances. Um, I tried to play with them. I tried to use them. <clears throat> I've experienced a lot of issues and I said like, I need to fix that. Um, I was a student in parallel for computer science. And I said like, why I just don't like, why I just do a research about that as part of my academic research and just solve that problem that I have at work. Um, and that was like the initial idea. Like the controversial thing I'm, I'm saying here is, you know, when we realize that there is a big problem here in the market and like people would want to use it. So we tried to go raise money. And then we, uh, you know, it was at the very early beginning, like cloud was not cool at that time at like 2015, it was still like, you know, at the beginning of like uh, the inflection point. Uh, and VCs like did not understand what we're doing. And like, everybody said like, no, it sounds like, like why would somebody run their production applications on server that are going to be disappear? And there were like moments in time that like, I looked at my co-founder and like, he looked at me and like, and we said, maybe they're right. Like maybe there isn't like, maybe it's not a good idea. Um, maybe we should halt what we do. Um, but the responses from customers, and this is what, what built the DNA of the company, which is like solely based on like customers' feedback and response. I was like, yeah, yeah, we want to use it. Like if you guys are going to make it work for us, we're going to use it. And that was the problem we solved. And that's like why we kept building. Completely understand why the you know more traditional VCs wouldn't understand because they're probably dealt with IT industries going back 20 or 30 years who have no idea of the, the concept of you know ephemeral technology you know those things have been running in their data centers for years so what's what's with the, the rebranding from spot to spot was that was that before or after the, the kind of the decision to be acquired by NetApp? so that was way before um like the the decision of getting acquired uh it was something you know it was like hanging out there in the air like since the very early beginning um because like you know there is one simple reason that we did it and one like more deep reason of why we did it like the simple reason is because spot is sometimes in some cultures, and it's it's a hard to pronounce name, which is just as simple as this. Uh, we saw people just pronouncing our name, Spotnist, uh, Spotinest. Uh, um, so that okay. was like a main reason, uh, simple reason. Um, and then the second reason was we're growing as a company. We have a growing portfolio of products. We are delivering way more value than just using spot instances, but obviously that's state like that's still the core of the company so we wanted to grow beyond spot inst which always refers to spot instances and we said we want to keep our core but we still want to grow beyond um so spot was a great you know uh uh, uh next like uh, uh um permutation of the name spot inst uh and we're, we're happy that we, we we've, we've chose that path over the years the spot market has changed from being quite volatile to, to being more stable now, I guess as as more or people adopt the spot as a as a, f- a first strategy for deploying workloads, it sort of levels out the pricing. It, it brings the price up closer towards the on-demand cost at least. Do you think that change in the market is something that uh, spot has helped drive? So I uh, I don't want to take credit um, alone, but like I think like also AWS uh, um, has done a phenomenal job of like making spot more easy to consume uh, and easy to like for people to use. Um, and I think like 
yeah, we, we have uh, um, a big part of like uh, making Spot popular and making people believe that they can use Spot as their first choice for stateless microservices, you know, things that you can run Spot for um, and provide the automation to make it happen. Um, I wouldn't say that like Spot is less volatile. I would say that Amazon did a great job making it more simple to use. But I would say that like, just because more people using Spot, it just creates more demand. So, you know, it just means that there is more volatility. Um, so, but the good news is that Amazon is growing so fast and adding so much capacity every day. So there will always be more capacity available to Spot customers. Google took a different approach with their Spot market and they, they price their preemptible instances at a flat rate. Do you, do you prefer that model over the Amazon model or, or, or do you have an opinion on that? I think the I think that the Google model is very um, uh, limited. I would say um, I think the Amazon approach that's the right approach. Uh, not not because of like the price differentiation. I think like Amazon also like giving you some like peace of mind on price. The price isn't changing like every second; it's changing every like few hours maybe. On Google, they terminate their server every twenty four hours which makes it too really ephemeral as opposed to Amazon that like you can live on a server for like maybe, you know, more than a few days even sometimes. Uh, and you can see that Microsoft is adopting like the Amazon way, which is essentially embracing what customers need. So it's, when you think about, you know, multi-cloud in this context here, how do you see multi-cloud from your vision? What is, what's the right way to do multi-cloud versus the wrong way from your perspective? So... I think you you guys probably see it. Uh, it like multi cloud doesn't mean like I run application and application on two different cloud providers at the same time uh, because it just doesn't work. Um, you can't really have an application and like have a database in one place and a front end in a different place and like and they'll talk to each other because of like data gravity and security and performance and all of that. So it just doesn't work. To me, multi cloud, I, I I actually like to call it multiple clouds. Um, because you have multiple clouds and you can use different clouds for different use cases. But at the end of the day, you need to have like services, like probably a complete microservice uh, running in a, in a specific cloud. And perhaps you will have like a different microservice, a different API that does something else uh, on a different cloud. And then they'll just talk in APIs. Um, but a single application would most likely have to run on, on a single cloud um, in my opinion, we share a very similar opinion, right problem, right solution uh, versus, you know, lowest common denominator cloud. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, we, but we see, uh, you know, the marketing people and the and other companies, you know, f arguing for this other vision, which is that lowest common denominator. And, and they're typically using Kubernetes as their way to get there. Uh, and then you see things like GKE come out that are multi-cloud enabled and they're like one common control plane, you know, it does seem that we're in this weird place where everyone who's really understands the cloud is like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Yet mm -hmm. everyone is trying to sell a solution in that space that does exactly what everyone says not to do. I couldn't agree more. You, you phrased it like very, uh, very good. I, I would just add on the Kubernetes stuff. Like if you see like the trend of Kubernetes and what cloud providers does with Kubernetes, they're actually making very proprietary so like if you look at EKS, it becomes like an Amazon service. It like it's connected with VPC and it's connected with IAM and it's connected with like a lot of like different services. So then Kubernetes, like other than just like abstracting infrastructure and running containers, 
like it's not providing right now the um, you know the vision of like running everywhere and like moving containers from cloud to cloud because EKS is, became like very proprietary to AWS, and Azure does the same for AKS and Google does the same for GKE. Uh, each one of the providers they want to keep the customer on their hardware, uh, so they give a lot of software that you just don't go out. Is that something you're going to solve for us? Uh, can you can you level the playing field and let us run container or compute workloads across clouds? So that's not a problem we're solving now because we don't see customers saying that this this is their problem. Uh, we like solve like big problems that customers have, uh, and I don't think that like solving like getting a container from Amazon to Google that's like what customers need right now. Um, maybe in the future, I don't know. Maybe like when you, you see like more edge compute. And customers would want to see their application running from the edge to the core very quickly. Um, so, like, you know, vendors will have to accelerate um, uh, solutions around that. But so far, like, we don't like solving problems that are not exist. So, uh, what do you uh, what do you say to people who are worried about vendor lock in? Then, and the way to manage vendor lock in is to make sure you have the right tools in place to always be able to make a migration from one cloud and uh, one cloud to another like within reasonable time. Uh, so if you deploy like if you choose Amazon and Google and Azure and you deploy like certain applications of Amazon like or maybe 80% of your application on Amazon and you have 20% of your application on Azure and GCP but you're using the same set of tools. You're using the same tool like set of like automation uh, processes and CI CD so then when you really want to do like a cutoff from like one cloud to another, it's just a very technical mechanical process that the company can do and that they can just negotiate with a specific cloud provider and tell them like, hey, if we don't get this term or like if we don't get this resolve, we have, we have options. Um, and I think that's like how companies should look about that. You're actually very aligned with many of the things that I tell people all the time in the space around multi-cloud, vendor lock-in, you know, how to think about this stuff differently. Do you think that um, it comes from you know, more of a DevOps background or do you feel like that's more of an engineering background that kind of brings that perspective? Because uh, it's interesting when you talk to engineers and DevOps people and, and cloud practitioners, et cetera, they all have different you know, flavors of that um, view on the world. Yeah, you know, so I, I'm a software engineer, like by training, what I was doing in the military, I was like using my software engineering like skills uh, to manage data centers. Um, so how we were like operating data centers and writing like software to operate data centers. So it's kind of like, you know, a combination of like a software developer and DevOps, but I would, I would define myself more of like as a DevOps uh, guy. So you mentioned branching out into other products. Can you talk about some of the other cost optimization and, um, and Ocean perhaps? What we really like about our portfolio of products that, you know, it just we, we, we kept growing with the customers over time. Uh, we listened to them. We solved like one problem at a time uh, with huge focus on their feedback. Um, and we got to like a place where we are today, which we call it um, from visibility to actionability. And I will explain. Uh, if you look about a lot of like vendors today uh, in the cloud ecosystem, you either see like people who give you visibility or people who give you like automation and actions. Uh, you know, I, I would say like, look at like companies like uh, uh, Cloud Health or Cloud Checker will give you like uh, um, reporting, visualization, financial tools to manage cloud. They don't do automation. They don't like manage infrastructure. They just provide you the financial management. On the, on the other side, you will see companies like 
you know, HashiCorp and, uh, you know, Jenkins and, and these guys who provide infrastructure automation, uh, they don't do reporting. They don't do that. Um, so we were like, we were able to like build a set of product portfolio that gives like the full range from um, visibility to actionability. Um, and the way we grow, we grew into that was, you know, one product at a time. First product was automation. Second product was automation of containers, ocean, which I'm, I'm happy to expand more about that. And then the third product was, hey, guys, we, you, you guys are doing all this automation for us. Can you give us visibility product? Um, and then we added a visibility product. Can you tell us a little bit more about Ocean and what you're trying to solve with Ocean at, uh, at Spot? So Ocean is, is a product that um, I'm very, very excited about. It's so simple, yet the underlying technology is like super complex and like solving a really big problem. Um, it's so simple in a way that like, like the promise to customers is like, hey, Ocean is a data plane management. And for, for a second, before I talk about Ocean, let's talk about a data plane for Kubernetes. So Kubernetes usually compose out of two components. One component that's called the control plane, and the second component is the data plane. So the control plane, that's like where the master leaves, like usually it's being managed by a managed provider, like a managed solution, like a, um, EKS, GKE, where the, 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 the Kubernetes like brain and master knows they, where they sit. That's the control plane. The second part is the data plane. The data plane, this is where all the worker nodes live, uh, where all the server or the compute storage networking of like where the actual container is running. Um, so for example, like, um, so Ocean is, is taking care of like this like control plane area of Kubernetes and it can connect with every, sorry, for the data plane and it can connect with every control plane of your choice. Like you can use OpenShift as a control plane, you can use GKE, um, EKS, um, like for example, an alternative to Ocean, you know, can be like uh, you know um, um, Azure Container Instances, which is also aimed to solve con containers, um, um, the data plane, or Fargate on Amazon. Um, so Ocean is basically aimed to provide that data plane, um, so customers can just deploy containers. Um, and if you saw from the acquisition uh, um, um, announcement, so we we. We actually announced our, our vision with NetApp to deliver ADI, which is application-driven infrastructure. Because in most cases, you would deploy compute, and then you, you would deploy your containers on top of this compute. And our approach with Ocean is like, no, 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 just deploy your app first. And according to the app specification at, like at provisioning time, and then at runtime, we will match the infrastructure. Like We'll see what the application needs. And then we'll match the infrastructure. It's a little bit um, similar to like Knative, maybe in some ways. Is that a correct understanding of it, or am I miss, missing the mark? So I, I think you're you're in the right in the right direction because Knative. I, I would say that Knative is even like um, it's a higher abstraction on top of Ocean. So Ocean is like one layer down. Is mm -hmm. like the layer that like you would you would as a software developer or or a devops you would like define your containers in kubectl like with kubectl with yaml files and then like you just say like kubectl apply um, and then ocean reads like all of like the configuration of your application and then it auto scale provision manage the underlying infrastructure so on on the same time like you can do like knative and then you can just deploy with knative 
uh, and then Ocean listens to what Knative needs from the infrastructure and meets that demand. So how does this compare with, with something like Fargate and AWS? So I would say they're like two competing products. Okay. Should I think of it more of like a pass layer sort of to like OpenShift? Or am, am I, is that an, an even different level of abstraction than what you're thinking of here? So no, it's it's so it's not competing with OpenShift. It's more competing like with with Fargate because OpenShift at the end of the day, like if like if you try to visualize in your head like this, like three layers, like there is one layer of the EC2 instances, and there is another layer of like the containers, and there is another layer of like how to manage Kubernetes and permissions and you know deployment and everything. So OpenShift sits on the higher level. Of how to manage Kubernetes, how to manage like you know permissions, how to deploy stuff, you know, just this is where they sit. Um, then, like where we sit is like between the infrastructure layer and the containers layer, because we we just listen to all the layers above us. We see like what OpenShift wants, how they want to deploy that, uh, what containers needs to be scheduled, what resources do they need, and then we are talking to the lower level like you know infrastructure layer. Uh, and just getting the right resources for those requests and ever-changing, you know, demands in applications. Got it. I think that I think I understand it now pretty well. Maybe you could walk us through one of those use cases you mentioned. You know, let, let's take like an, an uh, a a customer like a example. Um, so it's a public case study. Uh, we're working with um, uh, with Ticketmaster um, on 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 their Kubernetes environments. And in Ticketmaster, like you know, they want to move fast. They have more than you can count developers and more than you can count people who needs to be responsible on infrastructure. And they build a lot of microservices and they they deploy a lot of microservices every day. And you know, they, they had like an endless like Tetris game with like I need to build a container, then I need to make sure I provision the right EC2 size, the right EC2 type, the right EC2 um, um, server, you know, family type and all of that to meet my um, uh, application demand. Then like the developer, other than writing code, he had to think like, should he run on M5 server? Or should he run on CPU, on Intel CPU from that type or a different type? How much memory that like service needs? Uh, or is it just like just needs to get AMD's CPU or Intel one or like or GPU maybe? So with Ocean, what they do, they just don't think about that. Uh, they just like write their YAML files. They describe their containers. They say like what they think they need, um, and then what Ocean does, it reads that and it provisions the infrastructure to meet the application needs that they uh, that they uh, develop. Uh, and then the nicest thing about it that like over time. Like, let's say you're a developer and you say, like, hey, this is my container, app A, uh, and I think they uh, it needs 5 gig of RAM. So then, like, you provision it in your YAML file and you say 5 gig of RAM, uh, and then Ocean gives you 5 gig of RAM, like an, an EC2 instance that fits with 5 um, um, gig of RAM. But then over time, the nicest thing about it is that, like, it sees the utilization of the server, and then if the utilization is, like, 3 gig of RAM, that you don't use everything, so, like, over time, it will just downsize the container and we'll put it on a different machine. So like you can continue to build, you can continue to have like different, uh, um, you know, requirements and demanding applications and just the infrastructure will fit itself. So from the software engineering side of things, what do developers need to do in order to sort of make the best use of, of Ocean? That's a great question. So what they need to think about is like, is it like stateful or stateless? 
like, do I need to have like my data close to me or not? Uh, so that's one thing they need to think about. And they just give a parameter for ocean. And then the second thing is like, do you guys like want to be opinionated about your compute or not? Like, for example, they can tell us, we want this machine on this type of server because we know. Uh, so they, they just give us a hint and then we'll ocean match it for, with whatever they need. But like, other than like the distinction between stateless and stateful, they don't need to think about anything. So as we look kind of uh, ahead, I know things might change as the acquisition completes. Uh, what, what other things beyond Ocean are you guys doing at Spot that you're excited about that we should be looking forward to uh, in the next few months? Uh, so first of all, um, I think like uh, uh, I am very excited to um, work on an integration between Ocean and uh, Project Astra of NetApp, uh, which is a storage management for Kubernetes. So like providing these two projects together, like a data plane management with a storage, um, you know, world-class storage management of Astra, that's going to be something that I'm going to be really looking forward to see. Um, and the second thing that I'm very excited about is the uh, the visibility part of uh, what we're building. Um, so we're going to work um, really hard in the next um, few months of releasing more versions to our cloud visibility product called Cloud Analyzer. Um, we're going to add like very deep support for cost management and capacity planning and basically really help organizations to map their cloud account, understand where they need to think about reserved capacity with like savings plans and and reserved instances or, you know, the different permutations on different clouds um, and where they need to think about spot instances to like really map every, all the landscape of infrastructure that an organization has uh, and giving them the full picture of like to think about where to go with reserve capacity and where to go with spot capacity. Because ultimately, I think that's what organizations need um, to understand that balance, which workload and where they can live. I completely agree. You know, it's difficult to um, sort of rationalize some of the things we tell uh, engineering sometimes because on one hand we tell them auto-scaling, scale up and down as needed. On the other hand, we tell them reserved instances because mm. we get a better deal that way, but then there's no point turning those things off or auto-scaling at that point. So having a tool to help us find the right balance, um, you know, to optimize the cost between the, the things that we need all the time and the things that we don't is, uh, is going to be great. So other than compute costs, um, are you looking at the visibility in, in sort of other costs of the cloud? Correct. So with the uh, with the NetApp, you know, partnership right now, um, we are going to look for you know storage, um, obviously, um, and be very like you know provide a world class um, solution for like not only compute but also for storage, uh, and then obviously all the rest like networking and pass services that you use in the cloud. Um, out of like the you know the higher level thinking that like just help you to map whatever you have, and, and then you know, create a journey for you that like every product that we have becomes like an insertion point uh, in your journey to achieve like, you know, the nirvana of automated, optimized, easy to use, simple cloud infrastructure. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to mention? We still need to uh, close the acquisition so it hasn't been completed. Uh, just to thank to the, uh, to the amazing um, employees at Spot that are working like tirelessly on like building great technology, very customer obsessed, like been working on this journey for like, you know, five years now, but with amazing things. Just, just want to thank everybody 
um, and obviously thank our customers and partners and uh, and thank you guys for having me today. It was a uh, um, big pleasure and always great to talk to people who are very opinionated about cloud and uh, happy to see that uh, most of the things we discussed uh, was uh, a very uh, big consensus about. Yeah, it was great to have you on. I really appreciate it. And you know, I've always been really impressed by Spot and, and what you guys have been doing over the last few years. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing. And I know it's an exciting time with the NetApp acquisition and your employees and on top of uh, a very interesting world time with COVID and some of the other uh, social unrest that's going on. So uh, you, we do appreciate you taking the time and, and coming and joining us and uh, walking us through kind of the future and, and what you're seeing in the world. So we appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Jonathan and Justin. I look forward to uh, speaking again soon and uh, continue to uh, produce amazing content. It's uh, great to follow you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Visit thecloudpod.net to subscribe to the show, join our Slack channel, or sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can also find information on reaching our audience through a CloudPod sponsorship opportunity. A big thank you to today's guest, and thank you for listening. <laughs>